to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. Uh, today, we're actually joined with our very first data scientist on the show, Yoni Rutzelainen. Which I, I think I almost got it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep practicing my pronunciations. Um, yeah, uh, you know, coming to us from Metacore, working on like the defining factor of merge games these days. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a super fun time to uh, to dig into there. But uh, before I dig into all the the data sciencey questions, because I've got a lot. Um, oh no. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't worry. My, my abilities are like super basic. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of start at the ground level. Uh, so, okay, sounds good. um, yeah, I always like to start with, you know, Yoni, what's your story? Like, how did you end up in games and how did you end up, you know, where you are today? Sure. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me, Tom. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Um, and my story, well, it's, it's kind of the traditional story of how you get into the games industry. So I've been playing games ever since I was like four years old. Um, first game I played was uh, this 2D side-scroller called Prehistoric on, on PC. And uh, my cousin like gave me a, a floppy disk with it that he'd gotten from somewhere. And that's how it kind of all started. <laughs> and and um, then fast forward to 2012, um, I dropped out of university for my first degree. I was studying psychology, and after six months, I was like, "Nope, this isn't this isn't my uh, my jam." So I uh, dropped out, and I had to find a job because you know you need to eat and all that stuff. <laughs> so I started sending out uh, open applications to like all the game studios in Finland. Like honestly, like at least like 95 percent of the studios in Finland at that time. And there was only one one company that uh, replied uh, saying that they they want to talk. They need uh, QA testers, and so I got my my first kind of uh, position as a QA tester at this indie company called Frozen Byte. Um, I spent about a year and a half uh, there. Uh, then I went to university again to study business and finance. Um, and after I graduated, I spent some time, about a year, doing finance-related stuff, but that wasn't my jam. So I was like, I need to get back into the games industry. Like that's that's where I where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, I joined Ubisoft um, in their graduate program. Uh, did some project management stuff there for a while. Um, then transitioned into a data role there. And then about uh, just over a year ago, I started at Metacore as a, as a data, t- data scientist. So all in all, about six years in the games industry so far. Yeah. So you're, you're like one of those rare breeds that like started in QA and kind of worked your way up, except you worked into like the, the data roles. I think you're the first person I've met that has done that. Usually it's like worked my way up to like a game designer, or game director kind of a thing. So uh, yeah, I guess it's cool. not the most common kind of, <laughs> kind of route to take, but that's the one. <laughs> No, that that's great. I mean, I think data is at such a core of so many <laughs> great games. So um, sure that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about you know data scientists. What do you actually do? You know, at a game studio, why why are they important to have? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, first of all, I think um, it really depends on first of all whether you're working on console and PC side or whether you're on mobiles, mobile games. And then I think it also differs a lot between companies and also kind of the maturity of the company. So in smaller companies, for example, data scientists can actually be kind of like, um, uh, like quote unquote, jack, jacks of all trade uh, when it comes to data. So you do a bit of data engineering, you do a bit of data analysis, you do a bit of data science. But then if you have like a really big company, <clears throat> which has like uh, which is the chance to kind of have more kind of like niche positions. So there you might be like a data scientist who only works on like predictive modeling, for example. So um, I'm more on the, uh, the spectrum of like the, the jack of all trades because uh, at Metacore, we're still like in terms of headcount, we're still about 50-ish people. So I, uh, in my daily job, I do like data analysis, which is basically writing like SQL queries to build dashboards on, on Tableau. Um, 
I help out with some data engineering stuff, like if we have new events coming into the game, you know, trying to kind of uh, communicate how those should be transformed in the data pipeline. And then also some data science, which is like building uh, like segmentation models to help segment players, um, predicting LTV, that sort of thing. Gotcha. That's super interesting. Um, so I have a lot of questions. I have too many questions. My, my mind is like exploding right now. Um, all right. I'm going to try to start, you know, at the top. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times the whole idea of data and quantitative, qualitative type analysis and things, there's just a lot of cruft out there that I think. So, you know, could you maybe give me an example of a problem or a question that maybe should be solved with data science? And then maybe another example of something that should not be solved with data science? Well, actually, that's the, that's a difficult, like I was thinking first about the, the question about uh, solving uh, what problem shouldn't be solved with data science, because in, in my daily work, I, of course, you know, view everything through the, <laughs> the lens of like data, but um, but some things that are really kind of hard to, to dig into data-wise um, is actually like things like player motivations. So um, the, the typical like way uh, that data is gathered and analyzed is having like player telemetry in the, in the game. You send events, players or players send the events when they play the game, they yep. end up in a database and, you know, you go from there. But that's actually not uh, the best way to try and figure out like the player motivations. Like, why do players do this in the game? So I think, for example, like surveys, um, having like focus testing with smaller groups of players are are better things or better ways to approach those types of questions. Um, and then the, the the other end of the spectrum uh, with problems that I think fit data science really well is. Um, well, I guess one of the examples would be, I mentioned predicting like uh, lifetime value players. Um, that is something that instead of like trying to guess at, you know, um, I don't know, like average, you know, or using like average values of, of, uh, of a player lifetime value and then kind of proxying that into your UA or whatever is, uh, is, is not a good approach uh, because there's a better approach of actually utilizing all the data that you've gathered and, and building a, a, like a predictive model for, for that, for example. So um, that's, that's one example, I guess. Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to share a little bit about how I think about kind of using data. And I'm curious if you would say you're completely off base or that approach actually makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, Sounds good. So, you know, I like to, you know, if I'm approaching a game, you know, every game has problems in it, regardless of what stage you're in or where you're at, there's problems in the game. Right. So I think the first step is understanding what those problems are. Um, I don't really think that data science can help me to understand what the problems of the game are. Um, I just don't think that you just looking at raw data is not going to tell you. I think you have to be playing the game a ton yourself. I think you have to be actively engaging with players on like discord or something else, like having, you know, human to human conversations. I think surveys are a great tool. Um, we have segmented surveys and user wise they're They're great. Um, and I think they have a place, but I don't think, you can replace those first two, which is like actually talking to players, whether it's you or support, I think it's always better when it's you. Um, and then, you know, playing the game a lot yourself and, you know, you're going to come to understand that there are, you know, key problems in the game. So let's uh, look back at that legendary uh, supercell video before they introduced uh, a bunch of changes that led up to the success of the gold pass. Um, one of the problems in the game, I don't think you've got to tell, tell you know, like figure it out. Otherwise is like, clans were really focused on clan wars, right? And you'd get like a maxed town hall nine or a maxed town hall 10. And you wouldn't actually want to upgrade your town hall because it would like reconfigure you down. And now you'd be at like the bottom of the war rankings and you just get like ravaged for weeks and months. Um, and so it was like social pressure from the clan to like, stay where you are to like help the clan actually succeed. 
Um, but from a, a game perspective, that's a big problem because your players aren't progression through the content and the game as you kind of right. outlined them. Um, so like, I, I think data science could have told you, okay, well, spending is going down. Why is spending going down? Well, there's all these players that are like sitting at like town hall nine and they're not like upgrading. Um, yeah. But the why I don't think would have told you that. So I think you have to first understand the problem, which is we've set up our game so that we de-incentivize players from upgrading. Um, then, and only then, once you have that problem clearly in your mind and that you're sure that it's one of the top problems and it's sure that you're, you know, this is one of the things we need to solve. Then you can go to the whiteboard with the team and come up with a whole slew of potential solutions of how we fix this. Then I can take those solutions and I can bring them to you, Yoni, and I can say, okay, look at the data and try to tell me which of these is the most likely to succeed. And then I can look at a slew of other things of like, how difficult would it be to implement? How much time? Uh, what's the likelihood of success? And then I can come up with a gambit of the things that I actually try building out to see if it solves this problem. So that's generally how I like to think about it. I don't know, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I think the, that's a very interesting point <clears throat> overall. And I think like, I don't have a like yes or no, I agree or don't disagree or uh, agree, uh, <laughs> but I have a more kind of uh, muddied answer. Uh, a very political that. answer. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but honestly, I think um, I, what I, what I do agree with is that uh, what you alluded to, like domain knowledge or context knowledge is extremely important um, in data science as well. And I, I actually think that if you're an analyst or a data scientist in games, working in game teams, if you're one of those people who prefer to be really siloed and, you know, just, you know, work with your, you know, models and whatnot, I actually think you're not going to make a great data analyst or a data scientist because by nature, developing games is <clears throat> very, it requires uh, very kind of interdisciplinary teams and, you have to be able to, to work with those different disciplines uh, to, for example, tackle these problems. Mm. Um, so th that I definitely agree with. Um, the other thing that I think is important as well, there are different types of problems, um, I think, in games. And I, if I would have to kind of uh, make a guess, I would guess that most of them are, as you described, um, that... The, the questions that arise come from the community or they come from developers who play the game or they come from, you know, focus tests or surveys or whatnot. And then you kind of start forming like hypotheses. Like you mentioned, you get on the whiteboard and you start thinking out like, okay, well, why is this like this? Uh, and that's something that you can then uh, try and verify with data. Uh, and actually, even then, like some of the answers that you might get from data might not be like kind of like solid or like, you know, watertight in that sense or airtight, watertight anyway, um, in the sense that you might have to kind of, instead of looking at the actual figures of the problem or the underlying problem, you might have to proxy for that with some other, you know, data that you have because maybe you didn't have the events uh, mm -hmm. integrated in the game that you need to actually answer that question. So it's, um, yeah, it kind of gets really, <laughs> really muddy in that sense. The one other thing that uh, I forgot to mention is the, then the other side, I can't actually remember, there was a podcast. It might've actually been the Mastering Retention podcast. There was a guest on, well, it might have been another other game development podcast as well, but there was someone who was pointing out that you should, with data, you should actually look at the anomalies to see, you know, what's going on. Because you, if you look at like, uh, let's say you look at your retention figures and they're, you know, steady as she goes, um, that really won't tell you much, right? But then if you find anomalies from the data, like, oh, okay, there's a dip on this day. Like, why is that? dip there what happened on that day can actually give you a lot more information and it can also lead you on to the the trail of problems uh, that the game might have that you might not know about yeah i like that i actually do vaguely recall a couple different guests uh, talking about something like that so maybe, maybe it was here but maybe it was elsewhere you know i i think the more podcasts we have the the better <laughs> but it was a good point anyway so you know have you found that anomalies 
in the data that you've looked at, like, have you ever dug in and had that lead to a very insightful outcome, either like creating a segment of players or like refining a live ops event or an offer or something like that? Yeah. Um, there's been a bunch. One of the first cases that kind of comes to mind is, is, uh, is a case where I, sorry, I was trailing off in my mind. Is <laughs> a case where I was looking at um, currency balances, virtual currency balances of players. And there was uh, like the, the average balance per, player by uh, retained day I think there was like a weird drop um, on one of the days like it was kind of steady kind of uh, increasing over time or increasing over retained day but then there was a weird drop there and I was like why is there such a weird drop here like there was a like the sample size was big but then there was a big drop which then like led me to think well okay if it's if, if it pulls down the average that much there must be like really low values there as well and that actually then led me to kind of look at the the more raw version of the data and what i found was that there were actual actually negative uh balances for virtual currencies for for some players which shouldn't happen mm. and that kind of then led on to its its own investigation that then required the work of you know interdisciplinary teams you know working with working with the data engineers and and, and programmers to kind of figure that out well i'm, I'm curious <laughs> what what happened <laughs> can you tell us uh, well uh, I, I guess uh, there was there was some fixes that uh, were found that were related to how the shop uh, refreshed the offers or something like that it got pretty pretty deep into to the code itself, which is not where I'm in my element. So, <laughs> so yeah. see, here's what I thought was going to happen is I thought yeah. that there was a super good, you know, offer that like gave you gems and then a whole bunch of extra stuff. And you had a bunch of players that purchased it. Yeah. Then they went in and they hard refreshed or refunded it in like Google play or Apple. Mm. Um, and at that point in time, they'd already spent the additional like gold or whatever other values. Yeah. And then you subtracted the, you know, gems from their value balance. Yeah. I, that's uh, actually, that's a very good hypothesis for what could have gone wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know this is a valid hypothesis because I did that myself in Crash Royale. <laughs> okay, okay. It was more well, accidental than anything. I decided that it wasn't worth it. And then I refunded it and they like left the gold there and subtracted everything else out. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, there you go. That's uh, that's another very valid reason to, to run into that problem. <laughs> yeah, ha cheaters will cheat, especially when you enable them to, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Cool. Um, so, you know, for teams that maybe don't have a data scientist, you know, what sort of things do you need to be able to bring someone on like you to actually be able to be effective and like, when is the right time to, you know, do that? Like, especially for like a new gaming startup, I usually hear like you got your three core, your artist, your game designer and your, you know, developer and whatnot. Like yeah. at what point in time does it make sense to actually have a data scientist so that you can be um, as useful as possible, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a, another good question that I don't really have a, a kind of be all end all answer. I think it depends on various things. Uh, one being kind of the, the kind of culture of the team, first of all, like um, if the people who are already on the team aren't kind of data oriented or they don't want to or they aren't, for example, that experienced in being data informed or like they just haven't worked with, with like data people, for example, before. I think there's a bigger barrier to kind of see the value in, in bringing like a data analyst or a data scientist in. So I think that's, that's one. And I think like it also depends like if you're using like the third party, like a SDK or something where, that you get your data out of that kind of brings or gives you some off the shelf data. Maybe you can like roll with that for a while um, in like early alpha before you actually start like thinking about implementing your own events, etc. But from a personal point of view, I prefer to jump into a project as soon as I can <laughs> because uh, the, the earlier I get to join, the more I get to influence how you know events are designed how they're implemented what to gather what to collect because that's 
that's a, a kind of decision that you make pretty early on, which <clears throat> if you kind of don't really think about it and think through it, uh, it can give you or it can bring about a lot of kind of like technical debt in that sense that you're stuck with uh, events and ways of gathering events that's really hard to then change later on. And then when you change it, it also brings about, you know, comparability issues. Can I now compare this to the earlier data because we changed this and like it's, it can be a massive headache later on. So I prefer to, to jump in as soon as they let me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was fishing for the answer. It's like right away because <laughs> you got to design the data. I was also kind of curious if you would say like the importance of having like a data engineer or, you know, someone else to help like clean the data. Um, because I, yeah. I think there's a lot that goes in of well, sometimes those anomalies exist that need to be filtered out in order to be able to answer things. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think design of how your data is handled is like crucial. Like, you know, on the one hand, and this is how I always recommend people to design it, especially when they're working with like user wise is, you know, whenever a player completes a level, you would trigger something that's like level complete. And then you yep. would add additional attributes onto that. And you'd say level equals one, and maybe a booster was used true or, you know, yep. whatever else is in there. Um, yep. And then you complete level two and it's level complete where the level equals two. And you kind of go through there versus yep. having a unique event, level one completed, level two completed, yes. because yes. it is far, far harder <laughs> to analyze the latter yes. data than it is the former. And you just get like, massive amounts that are so unwieldy. Um, exactly. So yeah, I, I think that exactly. <laughs> data design is so crucial. Yes. Yes. That was a good example of why you need to bring in preferably someone early on. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, you mentioned third-party tools. Like um, what are some good, you know, systems that could maybe help offset teams, you know, I'm thinking like game analytics, amplitude, maybe a Tableau, like, do you have any recommendations or thoughts on, you know, any different systems out there? I have the real answer and the political answer. <laughs> which, Always the real answer. Yes, we're, the real answer we're, we're rogues is, on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the real answer is, uh, and this is also coming from like my point of view, who's kind of a data purist because like, that's what I do. Um, I don't think, or I have yet to come across a good solution for third party like data SDKs one not like it, I, I just I just haven't maybe they're out there who knows but I personally haven't worked with any of them so I can't recommend anything like unfortunately so in in your mind what is a what would a good third party you know analytics SDK or, or solution do that they don't do currently well one thing for sure that I think is a challenge uh, is reliability um, let's, well, for example, I've worked with uh, a kind of third party solution, um, where we had, uh, had an issue that, um, it was supposed to export, uh, data, very important data, uh, to a database and it didn't happen. And they, we, we reached out, uh, and tried to get some customer support for the issue to maybe have them do like a re-export of the data into the database. And uh, they didn't do that and instead tried to, tried to upsell us with uh, like more expensive customer support. <laughs> so like that's, that's one example of, of reliability that I think is, is a challenge. Um, and another thing is just a lot of these third-party tools, uh, they're kind of like black boxes, like They'll give you, for example, you know, retention calculations, but you have no idea how they're calculated. And then you might like take your own data, calculate retention as you were used to calculating it. Of course, there's different ways to do that as well. But uh, what you'll see is like the figures, they don't match. And <laughs> then you end up spending a lot of time figuring out, okay, well, why don't these match? Can I trust this? And you just start digging yourself into this deep abyss of like, you know, figuring out if this is real or not. <laughs> and uh, I think that's time not well spent. 
You should try Amplitude sometime. I, I feel like at the bottom of their graphs and stuff, they have the, the raw data export. I'd be curious your, your thoughts on it. I've heard from other data scientists that kind of scoff down on it, but I don't know that anyone has ever actually like truly gone into it and, and given me like the, the real lowdown. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of uh, data scientists are, you know, SQL purists where I, I want to just, you know, hop in here or I pull the data out and then I've got my Python algorithms and stuff that I run on top yeah. of it. I think the most important thing is like, if you, if you can trust the data and you know what's going on under the hood, then that's already a really good start. If you can get that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I love it. Okay. I want to switch gears just a little bit and sure. talk about segmentation. Um, because I think this is something that's super important and something that I see so many gaming companies get completely wrong. So, right. um, First off, Yoni, what is segmentation? What does it mean? Well, I think at a very high level, segmentation is just a way of putting players into groups. Um, I think that's a very kind of high level version of it. Now, there are a multitude of ways to put players into groups. Um, you might put players into groups based off of demographics. You know, uh, you might put players into groups based off of things like are they spenders or not? Uh, how much their lifetime playtime is? All that stuff. Um, those are kind of, those are kind of the, well, let's just call them one approach. Then mm -hmm. what data scientists typically like to do <laughs> is bring out their machine learning models, <laughs> uh, and use things like, uh, clustering algorithms. Um, so what they'll do is they'll kind of extract and build features of players. Um, you know, you might get things like, uh, how much of this virtual currency they've spent, uh, how how many levels have they progressed in their lifetime playing the game or like um, how many PVP matches have they played? Uh, and you'll bring in features and you'll feed them to this clustering algorithm that will then um, give you uh, kind of segments based off of those. Okay. So stupid question for people that aren't familiar with it, but what is clustering algorithm or, or what is a clustering algorithm? Clustering algorithm uh, is basically an, uh, an unsupervised learning model in the, in the machine learning kind of lingo. And basically, it doesn't require you to say, okay, how many uh, clusters should there be? Uh, or, you know, why or what should constitute cluster A, um, cluster B? What it simply takes in is data that you have. And depending on the clustering algorithm, it might, you know, um, do different things to measure whether, you know, this player who's in this spot belongs to this cluster or that cluster. Um, so there are different kind of algorithms to do that, like uh, k-means or, um, you know, hierarchical clustering or, you know, other ones. I don't know if so, you opened anything yeah. up. <laughs> you probably added a lot of more questions, but I won't delve too deep. Um, okay. So in theory, I have a data scientist that can run a clustering algorithm, which basically just takes, let's say I've got 100,000 MAU yep. and it splits them up into 100 different player segments. With me so far? Yes. Hundreds, okay. quite a lot, but yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we can say like 20, maybe. I don't, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on our 20 segments, what good is having these 20 segments of players now? I think there's uh, different levels of kind of uh, the upside. Uh, one is simply just understanding what types of players you have in your game. Like, how do they play the game? Do we have players who only focus on PvP? Do we have players who only, you know, chat in the clan? Uh, do we have, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and that might help you, for example, build features for the game uh, in the future, or, you know, just help you understand uh, who your players are and what they do in the game. Uh, that's kind of the, 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 in the, in a way, the high level one. The other thing you can do is, in terms of monetization, um, you can target different segments with offers that you think they are likely to convert to, for example. Uh, that's another way of going about it. Um, then, you know, you might want to, you might want to uh, also like try and optimize things for different segments with like A-B testing uh, and see, like try and, for example, improve 
well, again, monetization uh, for, <laughs> for offers or, you know, that sort of stuff. Okay. So I'm going to spew off a few like common segments that I see people setting up in user wise and, and what I see them maybe using that for um, just yeah. to kind of like wrap our minds around it and we can go a little bit deeper. Um, yeah. You know, very commonly I will see players segmented by country Um the reason for this is if I create a group of Brazilian players, I can set up a campaign that'll send out, you know, maybe a push notification and an in-game message that says on, on September 7th and says, happy independence day, enjoy this free gift of a thousand coins. Same thing. I could do, you know, us players on July 4th with another <laughs> happy independence day or whatnot. Um, I've seen that actually impact retention positively because players are like, wow, they're based over there in Finland and they're thinking of me down here in Brazil. Um, you know, that, that's a common one and, and that's like low hanging fruit. I think, um, you know, I think other ways that I've seen players groups are by spending behaviors, especially players that were spending before and are no longer spending or are no longer in my game. You know, I could create a group of players that have spent $50 in the last 30 days, but haven't logged into my game in the last seven days. Oh no, they're probably at a high risk of churning. Now I could level in some, you know, (laughs) predictive modeling to really say that they're at a risk of churning or something, whatnot, but, um, you know, maybe I want to then send them a push notification, um, with a huge bunch of content because I'm trying to get them back, you know, into the game right now. Um, another thing that I've, you know, maybe seen done is, uh, play styles. Um, so in a game, you might have, um, and I think I, I just did this with uh, Chen um, a few episodes ago, and he, he was talking to me about uh, casual gamer motivations, and, and he had mostly women in his game, and he was talking about you know two different groups that play vastly different, but both love the same game. So on the one hand, you had these, uh, he kind of called them highly organized women that like timed out every part of their life and they wouldn't play the game until like 7 p.m. at night when, you know, they got everything down and then they would sit down and they'd play for an an hour or two straight. And so they had to design the game in such a way that you can actually play the game for an hour or two straight, feel like you're progressing, feel like you're rewarding, you know, it's worth your time. It's a good way to relax. (laughs) On the flip side, they had another group of women that uh, I forget what he called them, but um, they're basically like grabbing me time whenever I can. So uh, Mm. I almost think of like a frantic mother and I implore this way because whenever I'm alone with the kids, I'm like frantic with the kids. (laughs) So, you know, and and he's kind of said, you know, they would grab like three minute sessions, like 20 times throughout the day. And their total time added up to pretty much on par with this other player. But the way that they're consuming the content and how they're engaging is vastly different. So I have to make sure that my game is enjoyable and designed to be engaged in these three minute sessions, 20 times per day. But I also have to make sure that that same game works for 60 to hundred minute, 120 minutes straight, you know, to accommodate these two different segments of players. Um, so, you know, do you think that like session time with like that example in mind is a good way to maybe group players as well or sessions per day or, you know, anything else yeah. like time of day that they like to play? Yeah, I think they're definitely valuable. Um, I personally used playtime. Um, uh, let's see, I've used uh time the average time spent on pvp uh active days uh a lot of different time-based missions so i do think that they're they're valuable um but i would definitely try and incorporate more things into it to gain a better understanding of that um like what? Light of these- <laughs> <laughs> well for well, uh, well let's say that you have it's a good example what okay let's say you have a game where there's a PvP mode and a PvE mode. So if you only look at, let's say, playtime, you might see that, oh, okay, you know, players play the game the same. Um, all the players uh, have more or less, you know, same playtimes, no matter how I slice and dice this thing. 
Um, but then if you, for example, then incorporate things like uh, the amount of PVP matches, uh, you know, maybe the amount of trophies they've gained, uh, then things like the amount of PVE matches, the amount of bosses in PVE they've uh, beaten and so forth. When you incorporate those into um, the data and maybe even like... Uh, maybe even build like rate ratios off of those. So you have those divided by the playtime. Um, you'll start to see differences. And that's why I think with the segmentation, like the most important thing I think you can do is design and construct the features themselves that you then input into the model because it's the old adage of, you know, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so I think that's something that is critical and that you have to actually spend most of the time when you're doing like, let's say a clustering algorithm based segmentation, you should spend most of the time with date, with the data itself. And, and again, context and domain knowledge comes into play here because if you don't know the game inside out, like your features will be like super shallow in that sense that you'll just pick out the, the, the basics, you know, uh, without actually understanding, like, okay, if I play PV in this in this uh, game, like, what are the things that I actually do in PVE, uh, mm. and what are the different ways that I can actually, you know, tackle PVE uh, content? So, yeah, that's good to keep in mind. I like that. I've seen some people do some pretty interesting stuff with segmentation based on like the client build version or the server. ID, um, especially mm -hmm. when you get into the realm of like live ops, where it's like, I want to release this live ops event first to players on server one, not to my 20 other servers or whatnot. And then I can actually gain some insights and, you know, thoughts into that, um, without the players directly talking to each other per se. Um, right. and then when I release it to ideally my entire player population, I've had at least a chance to analyze it and iterate and improve it a little bit before it kind of goes out to everyone. Um, and I think the, the client versions, again, it kind of depends on, on how you handle this, but I've seen, um, you know, some folks that might release a new version of an app just to, I don't know, players in India or, or something like that. Um, right, and I right. want to, target just players on that version. And I can use that to help better understand what am I giving to them? Did I incidentally break anything with the yeah. rollout before you, which, you know, happens more than I'd like to admit, but yeah. you know, life is, <laughs> yeah. uh, when you're working on games. Um, yeah. so this, uh, whole concept of segmentation though, who ultimately should be in charge of figuring out how many segments you have, which players should be in them and, and kind of managing them in the long term. I, I imagine that if you just let it go untamed, you could end up with umpteen number of segments. You know, is there a good strategy for managing that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, that's really insightful. I think um, so typically, typically how I approach it is that, um, well, first of all, we have a discussion about, you know, segments are important. We want to segment our players. Okay, I've got an idea. Let's use clustering algorithms. Um, and then what will happen is I get started on, on the data. Uh, and I start, like, brainstorming different features that I can build off the game that will probably be insightful uh, for the algorithm to kind of help split players into different segments. Um, then what I'll do is I'll... <clears throat> talk to, let's say there's live ops manager, uh, designer, I'll sit down with them and, and tell them like, hey, these are the features that I've been thinking about, uh, including in the model, and here's why. And ideally, you know, there'll be some back and forth about, hey, okay, maybe this feature isn't that good because of reason X, but have you considered maybe this other feature that you might want to include in the model? So I like already at that step, I want to get input from people who work on the game who really and most mm. probably know the game better than i do um yeah so that's something that i want to get feedback on already at that point then i'll go in and you know do the the modeling uh and the model will output let's say it'll give me five different segments then what i'll do is i'll, I'll look at the data <clears throat> of the players in those segments and see okay well what what are these players doing like how does the data characterize these players that are in the different segments? And once I have kind of thought that constructed, again, I'll, I'll present my results and, and, and tell the team like, okay, I have five segments here. Um, they look like this. I think they're plausible. Do you think they're plausible? 
because the thing with segmentation is when you do it with clustering algorithms, it's it's one of those uh, those areas of, of of machine learning that isn't you know pure science. It approaches like the the art versus science thing uh, because there's no there's no ground truth to you know this player belongs in this segment you know because you don't know that beforehand, right? So I think <clears throat> with segments, it's 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 a tool, but you also have to have a lot of domain knowledge in that, which is very different from like, let's say uh, an LTV prediction model, which, you know, predicts that player X is worth $3. How are you going to argue with that? You know, like, of course you can say, well, I don't believe that it's going to be $3, but like, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very different in that sense. Yeah. Um, you sort of touched on this a little bit, um, but I'm, I'm curious if you could expound on it a little bit. Um, you know, should you ever add psychological motivations to your segmentation? I'm, I'm thinking here, um, I don't know if you've ever used 12 traits, um, but yeah. they can do a pretty good job of like generating these um, psychological groupings of your players, basically of like, Hey, these players are altruistic. These players are really competitive or whatnot. Can, yeah. should you use those types of things, you know, built into your segmentation as well? That's a good question. And <clears throat> I think there's a lot of cool things, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, the 12 traits does. Um, again, like as a, as a person who works with, with, you know, the, the raw data first and all that, like I'd want to know what's going underneath, going on underneath the hood. So that's, uh, that's kind of the one gripe that I have, but of course, like, you know, they can share it. <laughs> um, that was a tangent, but going back to the question at hand, I think that, in general, incorporating more qualitative data into segmentation is very powerful. Like, let's say you can do a survey alongside, you know, um, or before you even start doing the, the actual modeling of the segments. Like, that is very valuable to have in there because, again, then you have more to say about the actual player motivations that we kind of talked about beforehand, which is like something that the data isn't the best tool for. So, um, in short, yes, um, how to do it, I guess there are multiple approaches. Uh, uh, one that I've, I've seen like, uh, up and close is like surveys. So Dude, that, that's funny. You actually described like the, the very, very first iteration of UserWise was like a, uh, a survey tool that was segmented that you actually can pull the answers back into your system. So you've got the qualitative of what they've said along right. with the quantitative, you know, <laughs> for designing those types of things. Uh, we've, we've built and iterated and pivoted a lot since then, but we still do have that core there. So that, that's fun. Well, there you go. It's important to have. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So uh, thinking about segments a little bit and segment design, and I'm going to get a little bit more into the actionable tangential type stuff. Um, yeah. and, and here's an example where I've seen segment design fall apart to lead to a very negative player experience. Um, and, and they had great intentions in mind. So, yeah. you know, you've got a game, it's been running for a while. You've churned out a lot of players. You want to get them back. So, you still have a regular game that's going on. So you still have your typical live ops campaigns and stuff like that. So I've worked with you to create my five or 20 different segments. And I've got campaigns that are running for each of them, ensuring that they get, you know, all these offers and messages and events and things going on. Yeah. Well, then I say, okay, I want to get back some of these churn players. And so then you make a, another segment of churned players, and then you design out, you know, a number of different, you know, emails and push notifications and, and UA campaigns to get these players back into the game. And they have their own flows and things that you should be. Um, and let's say, for example, that your re-engaging campaign actually works. Well, those players come back in. And they're getting all the stuff and it's working the way you expect it to. But those players are also getting put into some of these other campaigns and these other segments and such. And now they're getting hit with like 
you know, five push notifications in a row. It's like super spammy. You have no idea what's going on. On the one hand, it's saying, hey, you get this great reward. And then something else is, and it just leads to this really negative player experience. And a lot of those players that you finally engaged back just churn out because you're like spamming them and stuff. Um, So my question is, you know, should slash like, can you ever set up segments to prevent other players or other segments from like entering into those. So like an idea of like a static or a frozen segment or something like that, if, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Again, um, that's something that I never personally encountered, but um, I definitely see, see the point that, that you're making. Um, well, in a way, I think like one option could be that, Let's say you've done the segmentation some time ago. You have a model um, that basically, whenever new players come in, they've got enough data, you know, place them. Stick them in whichever one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, puts them in in, in one of the segments. Um, uh, Maybe that could be controlled for the fact, like, how often the the model then kind of predicts the segments for the players. Like, if it doesn't do it every day, maybe it does it once a week. So maybe these players who've re-engaged uh, for a while before they've generated enough data again to be properly assigned to a segment will then be in some kind of, like you mentioned, kind of a, a generic uh, segment, so to speak. Um, so I think that could uh, maybe be a, a solution solution for that. But I think there's a, another thing that came to my mind uh, from your example is like players who have churned out of the game maybe you know they they're not in the original data set when you build the segmentation so maybe they the time when they churn from the game the game's actually been different because segments aren't static over time either so i think that's another challenge with with kind of players who are are re-engaging uh when you try to assign them to segments is the fact that the game might have changed over time itself and Mm -hmm. uh and you're trying to assign them to segments of a, a different game than the one they were playing when they were still playing. Mm, that's very interesting. I like that. Yeah, I kind of took your question, partially answered it, <laughs> and then answered my own question. <laughs> yeah, you're you're ready to be a politician, man. Once you're out of game. Okay, I I still have like a million questions, but we only have time for like one more. Um, okay, so. <clears throat> There is an article that was published on Homescapes that kind of said Homescapes is a masterclass in how to do live ops. And I've been fascinated with it ever since then. Um, And if you read through the article and you read through their live ops design, they have multiple events that are going on at any given time throughout the game. But if you look at the complexity and how hard the events are and stuff during the week, when their players really don't have a lot of time, um, they're very easy. It's like literally you log in, you play like one level and you get like some extra bonus stuff. And then come Friday, Saturday, boom, you get hit with these really complex, really high rewarding events that are like very difficult and monetize much better. But like they're designed based on like your player's behavior at any, you know, day throughout the week or whatnot. And so I'm curious, like, do you think it makes sense to run models to determine like, Hey, when does this player typically like to, you know, play the game? Like if it's 7 PM, should I send him a push notification at like 650 or something like that? Like, remind them to, you know, get in and, you know, should I look at how they play the game on certain days of the week so that I'm designing things such that like, Hey, it's these players play a lot more on Monday. They're probably playing during the work day. And so we can give them more intensive events, you know, versus, you know, somebody that's got more time in the weekend. Um, Should you look at those types of things, run models and try to design your, you know, typical events around that? Um, I think it's definitely, useful information uh, from pretty much, I guess, all the projects that I've worked on in a data world, like there's their seasonality. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is like, it can be uh, weekly trends, it can be month monthly trends, it can be, you know, Halloween, Christmas, you know, summer vacations, whatever. Um, but there almost always are these trends. And I think, like you mentioned, being mindful of these and being aware of these trends can definitely be a tool 
to to help you build, for example, your live ops plan off of. Um, and in terms of building a model based off of that, um, that's it's hard to say. It would depend a lot on the model itself. Maybe you could try and incorporate uh, that seasonality into a segmentation model. Um, uh, and and see you know if if that gives you further insight, um, maybe you could try and build. Um, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe you could try and build, uh, let's say, uh, a time series prediction model of what the seasonality you know this week will be. Will it be increased off of the baseline, or will it be less? Like, what can we offer these players? Like, if it's if we expect this weekend to be. Uh, you know, in terms, in terms of let's say playtime uh, higher than the the previous weekends, can we cater to that somehow? Like, can we put in more content for them to play? Uh, stuff like that. Um, that's kind of the, the first things that come to my mind. <laughs> that's great. Okay, well, I have one more question for you. It's the unofficial question because we are on the Mastering Retention Podcast, yeah. of course, and that is. What's one tip or trick or a lesson you've learned over the years to increase player retention? Like, how do you keep your players playing for longer? Uh, I knew this question was coming. Uh, <laughs> so I spent some time thinking about it. <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of uh, take the data point of view here and, uh, yes, and, go, back to, and go back to, you know, um, when you're looking at retention, uh, like we've already been discussing, if you use like third party, you know, software solutions, whatever, um, they'll probably just give you a retention figure. But what is that retention figure? So I think that's one thing that you need to be mindful and aware of is like, what does this figure mean? How is it calculated? Because there are a bunch of ways to calculate retention. Uh, and like things like whether it's actually, whether the service is uh, reporting fixed or rolling retention, there can be a huge difference in that. So that's kind of the one thing that uh, I would encourage everyone, especially early on in projects or, or and like startups with their first project, like be super aware of what that retention is and whether you can trust it. Um, and the other thing is that what I've kind of realized um, in the past year or so is that uh, retention is typically thought of as, you know, did a player who started on this day come back on day X? But mm -hmm. In a sense, that's just, that's just a formula, and you can apply that formula to sessions, calculating session retention. You can apply that to, if you have like PvP in the game, you can calculate match retention, and those might give you uh, better insights into you know what's wrong, for example, with retention, let's say your day three retention uh, for, compared to day one, like there's a huge drop off, what's happening in between there look at match retention, look at session retention and see if there's a drop there that can then help you triangulate, um, you know, where the, the, the possible issue might be. That's great. I love that. Well, Yoni, thank you so much for joining me today. Like this is thank you, super fun. Hopefully maybe we can have pleasure. you back sometime and uh, have some for more sure. data scientists on here. So this is great. For sure. Thanks, All right. Tom. Thank you Take so care. much.